Amen. Amen. Guys, it's, uh, it's good to be here with you live and in person. This is not a video screen. It's me. I'm glad I'm here. Um, and uh, yeah, I think Jeff Mangum and I are going to be here. It's going to be one of the two of us live for several weeks. It's really cool. And so uh, it's good to be with you guys. Um, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Matthew 22, verse 37. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's totally cool. Um, we're going to have uh, the scriptures behind me on the screen. And we'll get there in just a second. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. We're continuing our series called God Loves. And the whole heartbeat behind the series is that we're, we're just looking at sort of the things that God has a heart for and that God loves with the hope, with the heart, with the idea that we can be people that love what he loves. Um, that we can love what our Heavenly Father loves and honor Him that way. Last week we talked about how God loves life, important subject. And today we're going to talk about, um, we're going to look at the reality that God loves your neighbor. God loves your neighbor. Now here's the amazing and sometimes frustrating reality about the fact that God loves your neighbor is that God loves all your neighbors. (laughs) He loves all of His image bearers, every single one of them. Even the ones that you don't like, he loves them. And, um, as, as, and we're called, we're invited, and, and I would even dare say we're commanded into this sort of radical life of love that God himself lives out. And as a matter of fact, the call to love our neighbor is really one of the most foundational tenets of our faith. It's one of these things we're going to see today that if it's not there, there's a problem. Okay, now one of the places that we see this call to love our neighbor and the importance of it being shown in the scripture very clearly is when Jesus has a conversation with a lawyer. This lawyer walks up to Jesus and he asks Jesus a question. It's a good question. He says, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? So Jesus, how do I go to heaven? And that's a great question. And Jesus responds to him in an interesting way, and let's look at how Jesus responds. Keep it in mind, the question is, how do I inherit eternal life? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. And he said to him, that's Jesus said to the lawyer, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And Jesus says, this is the greatest and it's the first commandment. Now, I don't know about you, but I... God walks up to Jesus and says, how do you inherit eternal life? That's exactly how I expect Jesus to respond. You inherit eternal life, loving Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. But Jesus is going to say something here in a second. He's going to say something right after that that sort of got this guy's attention. Made this lawyer sort of pause for a second. Produced some questions in his heart. Let's go back to verse 37. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. I'll show in all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now watch what he says next. And Jesus says, and the second is like it. Then Jesus says, you shall love the neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. And in verse 40, she makes another profound statement here. Jesus says, on these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. And so Jesus says, look, loving God is the first and greatest commandment. But then Jesus says something interesting. He says, but there's another one that's like it. I want you guys to look at that. He said, the second one is like it. That's a phrase that means similar to. And so what Jesus is literally saying is that the command to love your neighbor is of 
similar importance to your command to love God, which was shocking to this guy. Jesus is saying, look, this call on your life um, to love God, there's another one that's similar to importance to that is that's loving the people around you. And then Jesus dropped another bomb on the guy and said, as a matter of fact, the entire law and, and all the prophets, they can be summed up, everything that's said and all the law and all the prophets, it can be summed up in those two things. You love God and you love the people around you. Sounds pretty important, right? When Jesus said that, that that brought up an important question in the lawyer's mind. Okay, now don't turn there. Just listen, Luke chapter 10, verse 29. We see the lawyer's response in Luke. Watch how the lawyer responds after Jesus says, you love the Lord your God. Another commandment's like it. Love your neighbor. In verse 29, God says, wishing, the scripture says, but wishing to justify himself. In other words, the lawyer's like, I want to get this right. I want to go to heaven. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He asked Jesus the question, who's my neighbor? In his brain, he thinks, okay, I really want to go to heaven. Jesus said, I got to love God with all my heart, and I got to love my neighbor. And he's probably thinking, you know, I've been loving God well. I've been doing that. I've been crushing that. But I'm not so sure I've been loving my neighbor. So Jesus, who's this neighbor you're talking about that I need to love? That's a good question. Who is God calling us to love when he said for us to love our neighbors? Now, I would guess that as soon as that lawyer asked that question, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who's this person I'm supposed to love? He was probably hoping that Jesus would answer the question, something like maybe, you know, the sweet couple that lived down the road from the lawyer that he'd met, you know, Fred and Ethel, they were his friends. They brought him brownies and stuff. If he, he's probably like, man, if I just have to love them, if I can fulfill the loving my neighbor thing by loving Fred and Ethel, that's amazing. If he was single, I don't know if the lawyer was single or not, maybe he's thinking, man, I, I remember seeing that girl at the olive you know, oil market the other day, and she was beautiful, and, and if, if Jesus could just you know, kind of call me to love her, I'm in, sign me up, love my neighbor, I'm all about that. You know, and, and maybe in the back of his mind, he's thinking about his neighbor that lives in the, you know, the apartment or whatever above him that plays his harp too loud on the weekends, and he's like, you know, if I have to, I could probably pull that off and love that guy. But here's the thing, the answer that Jesus gives to him, the answer that Jesus gives to the question, who is my neighbor? Who's this person or group of people that I'm called to love? What Jesus says would have made the guy's jaw drop. And I guarantee you, he's he's probably immediately in his mind, as soon as Jesus answers him, he's already immediately in his mind thinking all the excuses why he probably shouldn't have to love these people that Jesus is going to tell him he needs to love. And before I tell you how Jesus answered that question, who's my neighbor, let me give you a little bit of context. These are Jewish folks and Jewish people back then. There were some of their neighbors that they lived with every day that they did not like. And not only did they not like them, but they actually hated them. They hated the Romans because the Romans were occupying their land. And there was another group of people that they hated, and it was the Samaritans. They didn't just dislike them, they hated them. And here's the thing, Um, their hatred for the Samaritans was, it was like, it was so ingrained. It was so ingrained into their culture. It was so generational. 
their hate for the Samaritans and the Samaritans' hate for them went back so far. There was so much bad blood. There was so much mistrust and conflict that the idea of loving your neighbor being extended to the Samaritans, I promise you, would have never crossed that lawyer's mind when Jesus said, you got to love your neighbor. He would have never in his brain thought, Jesus is talking about the Samaritans, okay? And so the guy asked him, who's my neighbor? Jesus answers the question, Who's this neighbor you're called to love? That's the foundation of the law and the prophets. And he tells the story, he answers the question by telling the story of the Good Samaritan. Not gonna go through that, just tell you the summation of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is the story of a Samaritan who's walking down the most dangerous road in the world at the time, the road to Jericho. And he's walking and he sees his mortal enemy, a Jewish guy laying on the ground, dying. And at great risk to himself, his personal safety, at great risk to his personal reputation, Jesus said that the Samaritan looked at his enemy and said he had compassion on him. He picks the guy up, even though it's his enemy, picks him up, bandages his wounds, takes him to safety, pays out of his own pocket for the guy to be taken care of. Okay? Jesus says that's what it looks like to love your neighbor. And if I were just, um, if I were to give you the definition, okay, if I were to give you the definition of what I think Jesus is saying, this is what it looks like to love your neighbor, I think I would define it this way. I want you to hear this. I think, I think the definition of loving our neighbor is demonstrating self-sacrificing love to the people in our lives that are the hardest to love. Jesus intentionally answered the question, who's my neighbor, by telling the story of the Good Samaritan to show us that loving our neighbor is not just loving Fred and Ethel down the street, it's not just loving the the people that we like to love or easy to love, but it's demonstrating a self-sacrificial love to the people in our life that are hardest to love. That is how Jesus Christ defined loving our neighbor, right? The one group, the one group that would have been most difficult for the Jewish guy to love would have been the Samaritans. Jesus says, those guys are your neighbors. Go love them. Okay? Now, before we go any further, I want to stop for a second. I want to just get kind of personal. And I want you to think about, and I really want you to do this, I want you to think about who the Samaritans are in your life. Maybe you don't have any, but maybe you do. Who are your Samaritans? Who is the group of people or who is the person in your life that is the hardest for you to love? Who's the person or the group of people in your life that it's the most difficult for you to imagine being kind to, right? Who's the person, group of people that may be in your heart? You're already making excuses going, no, I can't do this. Who is that person? You know, maybe it's, the Republicans or the Democrats, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's an abortion doctor or an agent from ICE, maybe it's a racist, maybe it's a person that accused you of being a racist, maybe it's Antifa, maybe it's the alt-right, maybe it's some group or maybe it's somebody a lot closer to home like your husband or your wife or your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your family member, your boss, somebody at work that's wounded you or hurt you. According to Jesus, loving your neighbor, according to our Lord and Savior, what it looks like to love your neighbor is to love them. 
Now, I want to spend the rest of my sermon today by just basically answering one question. I want to answer one question, and that's why. Why? Have you ever thought about that? Like, why in the world does God call us to do this? Why does he call us? Why does he ask us? Why does he say that all the law and all the prophets are built upon this idea of us loving God. That makes all the sense in the world, but why does he also say all the law of the prophets is built on this idea of loving the Samaritans in our life? Why? What's the deal? Well, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you three biblical reasons why God calls us to love the Samaritans in our lives, to love our neighbors, and we're gonna be done today. So if you're taking notes, here's number one. We love the Samaritans in our lives because when we were his Samaritans, God loved us. We love the Samaritans in our life because when we were his Samaritans, God loved us. <clears throat> Don't turn there, just listen. John chapter 13, verse 34. This is Jesus speaking. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And then he says, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Now that was, that's radical what he just said. In the past, he would always say, hey, we need to love one another as you love yourself, and that's radical enough. If you really have an enemy, if you really have a Samaritan for you to stop mistreating them, treating them like garbage, but actually love them in the way that you love yourself, that's radical, but Jesus drops a bomb on them, he takes it to a whole nother level, and he says, we're not gonna do that anymore. I don't want you to just love your Samaritan, I don't want you to just love your neighbor the way that you love yourself, but I want you to go next level with it, and I want you to love your neighbor the way that I have loved you. Now that's radical. But it bears the question, okay? Jesus, I get sort of how I love myself, but I'm supposed to love my neighbors the way you love me. How did you love me? What's he talking about? Well, there's a thousand ways that Christ loved us, but I wanna give you one. Romans 5.10, watch this. This is Paul speaking to the church, to believers. He says, if, for if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Okay, speaking to the church, speaking to believers, speaking to you and me, and he says, for while we were enemies, past tense, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, how? By the death of his son. The scripture clearly teaches us that before Jesus entered into the picture in our lives, you and I were enemies of God. He's completely holy, and you are, and I are, a sinner. You and I are sinners, and so our sin separates us from God, and the scripture says that because he's completely holy, and we're sinners, that our sin actually put enmity, it put conflict between us and the Lord. We, before Jesus stepped into the picture, the Bible says we're enemies of God, okay? The Bible says when you were still his enemy, though, and you hadn't done anything to deserve it, and you hadn't done anything to earn it. Christ pursued, God pursued reconciliation with you. He took the first step of reconciliation with you and he purchased that reconciliation that he pursued first by the blood of his son. He reconciled you to him by not only taking the first step, but he did it by dying on a cross. That's how he loved us. That's pretty much the opposite of how we like to treat the Samaritans in our life. How do we typically like to respond to the Samaritans in our life? 
Well, I don't know about you, but me, at best, I ignore them. I've gotten to the place where I don't feel like I have to respond to every person I disagree with. I don't even have, I don't have to respond to everybody that's mean to me. I don't have to respond to everybody that disagrees with me. I often just look at them and like, I'm not even going to respond to that. That's kind of how we often, at best, we, we ignore them. At worst, we demean them. We love to point out their flaws. We love to sort of scream at the rooftops that, that they should be the ones to repent and to seek reconciliation. And then what we do is if we do treat them poorly, we justify how we treated the Samaritans in our life poorly because they're evil and they're wrong and they're the ones that hurt us and they deserve whatever they get. But I want you to listen to the words of your Lord and Savior one more time. John 13, 34 He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You all sort of love one another. Guys, he was the innocent party, man. He was the innocent party. You and I were his enemy. And when you and I did not deserve it, when we were still in our sin, when we hadn't earned it, it, he did not look at us and choose us and was kind to us because we were good, because we were right, because we made the right choices, because we had our act together. It was the opposite. We were the guilty party. And, And even though we were in our sin and didn't deserve it, he loved you. Jesus is not asking you and I to do anything that he hasn't already done first himself. We love because he first loved us, okay? So number one, we love the Samaritans in our life because when we were his Samaritans, he loved us. Here's the second reason why we need to love our neighbor. Number two, this is a big one. We love the Samaritans in our lives because love is the evidence that we belong to God. We love the Samaritans in our lives because love is the evidence that we belong to God. In John 13, 34 again, he says, new commandment I give you, love one another just as I have loved you. You're to also one, love one another. Now look at verse 35. He says, by this, what? Love. He said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay? I want you to notice what Jesus did not say there. Could have said a lot of things. Could have said... All people are going to know that you're a Christ follower if you pray. That's not what he said. He could have said the distinguishing mark of a, of a Christ follower, of a person that's been saved and redeemed and reconciled to God, is that they go to church. He didn't say that. He could have said all people are going to know that you're a Christ follower, that you're a Christian, because, you know, you went on a mission trip. He didn't say that. Jesus said the way, the thing that's going to demonstrate and show and make it clear to the world that you're actually a Christian is when love comes out of your life to the people that are hard to love. And so I just want to ask you guys, that's the evidence. Love is the evidence. The evidence, listen, the evidence that God's love has come in you is when the love of God comes out of you. So is there somebody in your life that you have refused to forgive? Is there somebody in your life that you hate? Is there a group of people 
that you have so much disdain for that you can't even fathom the idea of being kind to them. Okay, listen to me. I'm going to say a difficult statement, and I'm going to back it up with Scripture. If that's where you're at, you refuse to forgive someone. You have somebody that, 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 that you, you hate them so much, you can't even imagine being kind to them. If that's where you are, and that's where you're hanging out, and that's where you're staying, that ought to give you a significant moment of pause in your understanding of the gospel. And I'm going to tell you why. First John 4, 7, listen. John says, beloved, let us love one another. So he quotes Jesus, let us love one another. And then what he says next is really key. He says, for love is from God. Okay? So he says, look, if you're loving people, the fact that you're loving people, that came from God. God is love. He gave you the ability to love. So he says, let's love one another, for love is from God. Now watch what he says next. For whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So if you have love to your neighbor coming out of your life, you're saying that's the proof, that's the evidence that you've been saved, that you've been born again, because love's, God is love. He's what causes you to love. And so if you love, it's the evidence that you've been born of God. And then he, then he gets real in verse 8. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The evidence that the love of God has come in you is when the love of God comes out of you. And to give sort of an analogy of that, I I, want to remind you over and over again in the scripture that humans are called earthen vessels. Well, like, we're described as like clay pots several times in the scripture. And the idea behind that is because things get poured into us and then we pour things out of us. What we pour out is what gets poured in. We're called vessels, pots. God, on the other hand, he's described many times as love. It's who he is. God is love. Now, check this out. Listen carefully. One of the things it says about God, who is love, it says that his love is deeper than the ocean. That God's love is deeper than the ocean. So we're a clay pot. He's an ocean of love. Now, here's a question for you. What would happen if you poured an entire ocean into a single pot of clay? What would happen? If you try to pour an ocean into a single clay pot, what's going to happen? then a whole stinking lot of water is going to come out of that pot. Y'all with me? So how do you know that the ocean deep love of God has come in you? (laughs) It's when the love of God starts spilling out of you. And if the love of God is not spilling out of you, then the only explanation is that the love of God never got poured into you. So we love the Samaritans in our life. Number two, we love the Samaritans in our life because love is the evidence that we belong to him. Number three, last one. And listen to this carefully. We love the Samaritans in our lives because our love transforms our Samaritans with God's love. This is actually really critical. 
We love the Samaritans in our life. We choose to love the Samaritans' life because our love transforms our Samaritans with God's love. Guys, in my humble opinion, I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's anything that turns non-believers off to the gospel more than when a person claims the name of Christ but treats the Samaritans in their lives like garbage. And the world's watching. I'm telling you the world's watching. I think there's hypocrisy. I think that turns them off. And I think the other thing that turns them off to the gospel more than anything else is when they see a person who claims the name of Christ out of one side of their mouth and on the other side of their mouth, they're slamming people that are different than them. I was talking to a guy not too long ago who was not a believer. I asked him why he was not a believer. He said he couldn't stand Christianity, hated church. I asked him why. He gave me an example that had happened fairly recently of a pastor here in Texas, actually, large church, famous pastor, relatively famous. Pastor's really politically involved. This guy was tweeting out about something, because this pastor's a big Trump guy, and somebody had done something to Trump or whatever. He thought did something to Trump. And, and he tweeted out, hey, you never Trump losers. Now, this is a pastor of one of the most high-profile churches in Texas, definitely United States, and he tweets out, hey, you never Trump losers. And the guy I was talking to said, man, look, if that guy represents Jesus, and that's what Jesus is all about, I want nothing to do with him. The world's watching. And I want, I want to say something, guys, and I want you to hear this. This, is, this was huge for me this week. I thought about this, I wrote it down, I want to teach it to you, it's just, it's huge, and I've been thinking about it in my own life. But one of the ways that you know, like I said, that the love of God has come in you is when it starts coming out of you, right? Now listen to this. The way, one of the ways that you know that the love of God is coming out of you is that your desires for the Samaritans in your life is going to change. One of the ways that you know that the love of God is actually coming out of you is that your desires for the Samaritans in your life are going to change. And what's going to happen as God loves come in, God, God's love comes inside of you is that your desire for the enemies and the Samaritans in your life is not going to be for their retribution or their punishment, but it's going to be for their transformation by the love of God. Y'all with me? I say, you know, God's all messing you up. You look at people that hurt you, that are your enemies, and your desire for them is not that they're punished, but your desire for them is God changes them. That's how you know God's messing you up and at work in your life. In this, um, we're in a place, guys, I'm telling you, we're in a place in our society that our world, even among Christians, is so full of hate, it's so full of judgment, it's so full of finger pointing, it's so full of polarization, that when people actually show love towards others that are their Samaritans, when they're actually kind to them, that is so radical. It's so out of the ordinary. It's so shocking that what happens is the world sees that and it gets their attention. It has the power when we do that to transform people's lives and to turn them to the Lord. I want to end my sermon today. I want to tell you two stories. I thought about just telling one of them to you, but I think they're both critical for us to hear. One's a story about how I interacted with somebody that was simply not a believer, good people, but were not a believer. 
I know there's a story about how I saw a Christian pastor dealing with some Muslim pastors that had persecuted him. I'll tell you the story and I'll pray. I went on two trips this last semester and both of them were unbelievable trips. Um, one of them, and let me try my best to explain this to you. I have a pastor buddy um, who's actually in his 60s and he spent his entire career um, like building up companies and selling them and he's a brilliant dude and he, um, he sold his last company for millions and millions and millions of dollars and he retired. And he went to the Virgin Islands and he bought this like $8 million house on a point on the Virgin Islands and he bought a yacht, right? And then he started going to this church in, in the Virgin Islands and the pastor, he got real involved with the church and the pastor quit. And so this guy became the pastor of the church and I, I'm like friends with this guy. I met him and we're buzzed. Not because he's rich, because he's amazing, but it did have benefits because... Because we've got to be buds. He's actually flying to Austin today to hang out with us. And, but he, um, he called me like last December and he said, Matt, I would love to invite you and Jennifer to come on our yacht for a week. All expenses paid. It doesn't cost you a thing. And I said, hold on, buddy. Let me pray about it. Yep. Um, the Lord said yes. And so Jennifer and I in December went and spent a week in the British Virgin Islands with uh, his wife and him, and it was unbelievable. Anyway, he told me, he said, look, there's a couple that's going to be on our boat. um, It's the captain and his wife. And he said, they're not believers. He said, they're great people. They're super sweet, but they're just not believers. And he said, they're not antagonistic to the gospel. They just just not interested at all. And we're going to be with them. I was like, cool. So Jennifer and I were just sort of talking about it. And, and we were like, man, let's just, let's just serve these people this week. Let's just, let's love them. Let's listen to their stories. Let's just serve them. Let's treat them well. And so we decided that we were going to do that. We, um, like normally when we would all eat, they would not eat. They would go do their thing. We invited them to come eat with us at every meal. And that really took them back. We, uh, we just, we, we tried to serve them in every way we could. We tried to help out just with the dishes and everything was going on. Jennifer and I just tried to help them as often as we could. We, we asked them about their life. We listened. We just, we just loved them, for lack of better words. And about the fourth day, that captain guy, who's not a believer, married to the chef, pulls me aside. And he says something to the effect of, he's like, Matt, he goes, y'all are really different than most people that we've had on the boat. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, man, we've had a lot of Christians, because he knew I was a pastor. He said, I've had a lot of Christians on the boat. And he said, honestly, man, they're nice people. But he said, every single Christian we've ever had on the boat, inevitably, it turns into a conversation where they're just trying to sort of shove their beliefs down my throat and show me how I'm wrong. And he said, I just want you to know how refreshing it's been for you to be with you guys. And he said this, he said, you guys are different. He's like, we've... We've seen how you've served us. We've seen how you've listened to us. We've seen how you've just been amazing and cared for us. And then he asked this. He said, why do you do that? It was just like a softball. <laughs> he said, why do you do that? I, I was not working on this sermon yet. The Lord gave me this verse. And I said, honestly, man, the reason we do it is because Jesus said that people are going to know that we're believers, that we're followers of Christ because of our love. 
And man, we just want to love, we just want to love you and your wife. Here's what he said. It was really interesting. It's fascinating. He said, you're telling me that Jesus said that the way that Christians are going to, people are going to know that people are Christians is because of their love? I was like, yeah. He said, Jesus really said that? I was like, yeah. He said, man, I've never heard that in my life, but I've seen it in, your, in you. The rest of the week, every time we go to dinner, they are just bombarding us with questions. Now, again, remember what Pastor said about them. They're just not interested. And not being combative at all, they're, they're like, man, tell me about um, why you became a Christian. Like, why did, why did you become a Christian? He's like, Matt, why did you become, become a pastor? He's like, what made you think of that? I'm like, I have no idea, man. I, and, 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 and almost to the point where I, I, I'm like, Lord, this is amazing. But I'm on vacation, man. Like, let him talk to Jen. Like, I'm trying to read a book here. You know, but it was, it was like amazing because they just like, I th- you know, his, Jennifer had an amazing conversation with his wife about how Christ has changed our marriage. And it was absolutely, positively beautiful. And I cannot tell you how good it felt. I can't tell you how good it felt to see somebody in the perception of Jesus and the perception of the gospel make a 180 degree turn. Not because I was a good theologian, not because I had all the right answers, not because I argued him down. Simply because I loved him. Turns out what Jesus says works. Last story. Um, I'm going to be much more vague in this one, and you'll see why here in a second. But this last semester, I was, um, I was invited to be a part of a delegation from the U.S. government to go to a country in the Middle East to work with this country in the Middle East on religious freedoms. This country was not known for its religious freedoms. They, they want to change. They've got a new president, and they want to be different. They want to stop religious persecution and so they called the United States government, said, can you send us a delegation of pastors and imams from America? We'll gather pastors and imams, which are Muslim pastors, if you will. Let's get together. We'll work together on how to create a path to move forward. I got invited. There were three American pastors, three American imams. One of them was from Austin. He and I are buds now. Um, there were three Christian pastors from that city that we were in all over on the other side of the world. Two of them were orthodox, and one of them was like an evangelical, for lack of better words. So there's one evangelical pastor in the city of six million people. And then there were three Muslim imams from that city in this country, halfway around the world. And we hung out for three days, four days together. It was four days in the morning. We do meetings with their government. Um, And then the afternoons, all the imams, all the pastors would get in a room, and we just hung out together. We discussed everything you can imagine. We discussed per- Christian perception of Muslims. We discussed Muslim perception of Christians. We talked about how we wanted to change. And I found this later on in the week. But three of the Muslim imams that were from that city and from that country had actually been persecuting that one evangelical Christian pastor. And guys, it wasn't little stuff. I'm not going to tell you what they did. But it wasn't little stuff. It was big stuff. Big stuff. Stuff that if that happened to me or if it happened to our church, it'd be really hard to love him. And I think he knew. Because when he came in the first day, he, he was nervous. 
But I watched him over the course of the week and I watched him change. And that Christian pastor, I watched him, I saw him do it. I saw him grab a bunch of bottles of water and he walked over to the table with those three imams and he watched him hand all those imams water. I watched him, we were at lunch. I was kind of in the back of the line. The Christian pastor from that country was sort of at the front. He's about to go into the buffet line. He stops, turns around. He finds the three imams and brings them over and he lets them go before him. I heard him one time. They were sort of telling their stories and he listened to them. He empathized with their situation. I heard him once apologize to these imams. He'd never done anything to them. Done incredibly difficult, horrible things to him. He apologized for the way that Christians in their country perceived the Muslims, asked their forgiveness, and told them that he wanted to help change the perception of Muslims in that country. Long story short, Guys, he loved, I watched him, he loved and he served and he honored these men that had treated him and his church and his family so poorly. He loved his neighbor. At the end of the week, uh, the guy that was in charge of leading that afternoon discussion with all the imams in the past was actually a Christian from America, older guy, friend of mine. We ended the entire time together. Guy stood up and said, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray together. And when he said that, I thought that was a little weird. I'm just being totally honest with you. I'm all about talking. I'm all about being buds. I'm all about building bridges. But I, I, I didn't even think about, like, should we pray together? Because they're Muslims. We're Christians. It's a little weird to me. I, was, I walked up to my friend and said, buddy, help me understand this. Like, we're, you know, we're going to pray together? Like, help me understand that. And he said, Matt, the thing you need to remember is that our God is real. That the Holy Spirit is real. He said, I don't want you to do this because I have seen the Holy Spirit work more. He, he does these things all over the world. He said, I, I've seen the Holy Spirit work more during this time of prayer than any other time during the week. He said, just watch. So he told me. We all got on our knees. One of the coolest and weirdest moments of my whole life. We're on our knees. We're praying. Translating. God's Translating. Christian pastor stands up. That dude started praying for those Muslim imams. And he prayed for their blessing. He said, God, I pray that you would bless them. That you bless their lives. You bless their wives. You bless their children. He said, God, I pray that you would pour out your blessing on them. And he prayed that they would experience, perfect prayer, he prayed that they would experience the radical love of God. It's beautiful. We get done praying, I kid you not, those three imams stood up, walked directly to my friend that was the leader, the American Christian pastor that was the leader. And here's what they said. They told him, they said, when we came here this week, we didn't like that guy. Talking about the the indigenous Christian pastor there. We didn't like that guy. Said, but through the course of the week, we've seen his heart. We've seen his heart. And from now on, what they said is that he and his family and his church are going to be under our protection. They said, as long 
as he is in our country, nothing will ever again happen to him, his family, or his church. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, I'd like to tell you that those three imams became Christians. I don't know if they did or not. I know their story isn't over yet. But I do know this, that Christian pastor loved his neighbors. He loved the Samaritans in his life at great risk to his personal safety and his reputation. And it changed them, just like Jesus said it would. So we love the Samaritans in our life because when we were his Samaritans, God loved us. We love the Samaritans in our life because love is the evidence that we belong to him. And lastly, we love the Samaritans in our life because our love transforms our Samaritans with God's love. And oh, by the way, after Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan, he looks at the lawyer and says, which one of the guys in the story loved his neighbor? Which one of the guys in the story lived this out? And the Jewish guy, Jewish lawyer said it was the Samaritan. The one that showed mercy and love. And Jesus said, you're right. Now go and do the same. And you will live. Could we pray today that we would be a people and that we would be a church that would be known for what Jesus said we should be known for? which is our love, right? Let's pray. Real quick, if there's anybody in this room with their head bowed and eyes closed, if there's anybody in this room that has never in their life experienced the ocean deep love of God through the person the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I just want to invite you to do that in the best way you know how. Tell God that you believe you're a sinner, but that you want to receive the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Just ask him to do that now. If there's anybody in your life that you've refused to to forgive, refused to love, I want you to ask that the Lord would give you the power and the heart to love your neighbor. Ask God to fill you with his love so it'll flow out of you. Ask God that, ask him this. Of all the things, God, that I'm known for, would you make me a person that's known for love? God, what a great thing to ask. Lord, every time I get in your word, I I just see it over and over again. Your story is a better story. Nobody made this up. God, so true. Father, by your grace and your power, would you make us people of love? Would we be known? Would Christians be known for what you called us to be known for? Love. Give us wisdom, give us strength so that you'd be exalted in our lives. And God, we ask that in Jesus' name.
Amen.